How poetry can change your heart. Maybe the poetry you were assigned in school twisted your face into a knot of confusion. Maybe it was the literary equivalent of warm milk, lulling you to sleep. Maybe it roused your every goosebump, but then you graduated to a world that built a cubicle around your wonder, and someone replaced the poetry in your hand with a textbook on business marketing. Maybe you are longing for more beauty in your life, and envision poetry as the splash of aquamarine. On an otherwise beige canvas, maybe you are already in love with poetry and want to deepen your relationship through this book. Whatever brought you to these pages, welcome, welcome to the ever adventurous journey of witnessing your own life by witnessing another's. Welcome to expanding your peripheral vision to the width of the Pacific. By entering this world through someone else's perspective, welcome to blush and rage and melt and bliss. Welcome to a world where there are as many languages as there are people, and it turns out there is a poet out there who is fluent in you. Poetry makes the universe reachable by telling a story. We can travel continents in a single stanza, feel lifetimes in a lone page. Poetry is the passport that proves we are all of us citizens of the world, and through poetry we can even heal that world. Whoever first said that poetry is dead failed to provide the autopsy. If poetry is dead, what a rowdy and glorious ghost! Poetry haunts. Poetry permeates the walls we put up. Poetry startles us awake and into our own aliveness. Poetry rustles the hairs on the backs of our necks and chases us into more compassionate rooms. Though it is difficult to change a stubborn mind, poetry can change our hearts in an instant. It's probable that there are more poets on Earth today than at any other time in history. After all, there are more humans than ever. And the rising popularity of spoken word has brought more attention to the art. The likelihood that someone out there is writing the poems that you need to hear increases by the day. Poetry is alive and running through the streets, calling your name, whoever you are, no matter what they told you. Despite anything that has ever suggested otherwise, poetry is for you. What is poetry anyway? Poetry, noun. Writing that formulates a concentrated imaginative awareness of experience in language chosen, and arranged to create a specific emotional response through meaning, sound, and rhythm. Now that we've gotten the dictionary's definition of poetry out of the way, let's get a little bit more honest. We might venture to say that poetry has closer to seven billion definitions, as it means something a little different to every person on the planet. A romantic might say that it is the pen and paper version of roses and chocolate. A skeptic might argue it's whatever is inside a very disposable greeting card. 
A high school student might believe poetry is Shakespeare and never learn anything more. A literary academic might define it as saying as much as you can in as few words as possible. But a person whose heart has been changed by poetry will tell you poetry is the key that unlocks a door you never knew was shut. Below are some definitions of poetry from a smattering of people. Word music, Linda Tedesco, 49, Lego brick artist. What happens when you give your heart a pen? Hilary Brown, 38, dog enthusiast. Poetry is what in a poem makes you laugh, cry, prickle, be silent, makes your toenails twinkle, makes you want to do this or that or nothing, makes you know what you are, that you are alone in the unknown world, that your bliss and suffering is forever shared and forever all your own. Dylan Thomas, Welsh poet. To understand the universe, I turn to science, but to understand my place in it, I turn to poetry. Karina Foster Middleton, 22, astronomy student. The poet thinks in big ways. The people think in tiny ways. Jude, 7. There have been some rumors about poetry flying around, and it's time to set the record straight. Myth 1. Poetry has to rhyme. Myth 2. Poetry has to be about love. Myth 3. Or flowers. Or wintry landscapes. Myth 4. Poetry is polite and proper. Myth 5. It is difficult to understand. Myth 6. Poetry can be only found in books. Myth 7. All poets are white men from the 1800s or before. Myth 8. It's a dead art form. Myth 9. Poetry is not for you. Poetry can rhyme, but some poems would not be caught dead, constricting themselves to the laws of sound. Poetry can be about love and the British countryside, but also about the apocalypse or serial killers or pop stars or baseball. It doesn't have to be an iambic pentameter. What's that again? Or Old English, or written in a way that makes you contort your brain into a question mark. Poetry can be written by anyone paying attention. It doesn't have to be about cold plums or Grecian urns or coy mistresses. Maybe you think that actually not so much depends on the red wheelbarrow beside the white chickens glistening with rain. That's okay, but know this. Poetry is not a dead art form. Did you know that there are poets right now who are selling out thousand-seater rock clubs and reading poems to standing, screaming fans? Poets in New Mexico who host drive-by poetry readings, where they pull up in their cars, roll down the windows, shout a poem to pedestrians, then speed off? There are poets who have libraries in their brains, full of memorized poems that they never ever wrote down. If you still believe poetry is not for you, it is merely because you have not found the poet out there who is for you, but you will. Poetry is for everybody. It is not an exclusive club for people who wear berets and are very good at snapping. If school taught you that poetry was not for you, school did you wrong. School gets an F. Poetry can be funny. It can be political. It can be erotic and full of curse words.
Poetry can be a love letter to pudding, or an ode to a tampon, or about the Geico gecko, or about toasters that burn the image of Jesus Christ onto the bread. Poetry can be about any topic in any form written by anyone. Spoiler alert for later chapters. Even you. 21 questions to ask on your first date with poetry. Science suggests that a series of predetermined and increasingly vulnerable questions asked between strangers can lead to love. What if you could ask yourself some questions about your connection with poetry and fall in love with the art form? Here's a list of questions to help you get introspective about the state of your current relationship to poems and to see if you can envision a future together. Is it complicated? Are you married? Separated? Just talking? Ready to commit to a 30-year mortgage? Read each question, pause, and take the time to answer it honestly and thoughtfully. This is great to do with a friend or group as well. Try it out. What were you raised to appreciate? In what ways, if any, was poetry valued in the house where you grew up? In what unique, amusing, or special ways did your family interact with language? What is your favorite song lyric of all time? If you were to explain poetry to a toddler, how would you describe it? Look around. What are the five most beautiful things you see? The five most heartbreaking. What is a topic you could spend an easy hour talking about? What in the universe are you most curious about? What is the one-sentence version of your life story? What is the tiniest, yet most important, detail of your life? Where is the beauty in the last thing that made you cry? Where was the grief hiding in your last moment of bliss? Why is your favorite season your favorite season? What is your favorite word and why? What was the most riveting conversation you have ever had? Do you remember the last time someone put words to something you couldn't easily express? What is your earliest fear and what is your most recent? Describe the last time you were awestruck. If a poet were to write about one story from your life, what story would you have them tell? Why don't you tell it? Poetry is great company. If the old adage is true about book lovers never going to bed alone, then given the lightweight and portable nature of a poetry book, poetry lovers never have to do a myriad of things alone. Go to the park, wait at the doctor's office, ride an airplane. Right there in your pocket, a friend, but we know what you're thinking, a cell phone. But many studies have illuminated that smart smartphone dependence leads to anxiety and mood disorders. Sleep disturbances, stress level and chronic pain increases, relationship problems, and more. A poetry book can't unfriend you or call you a trash bucket on the internet. Science supports that reading books, as opposed to those pesky screens of junk light, has great benefits for the mind. Hallelujah.
Of course, it goes a bit deeper than that. Because of how intensely personal confessional poetry is, it can make you feel like you've given, you've been given a backstage pass into someone else's mind. It can help you feel like you have a companion in the world, someone you know intimately. Reading poetry can feel like somebody's diary was made public, or even like someone's diary was handed personally over to you. And when you discover a poet whose work really resonates, it can feel like they snuck under your bed and read all of your secrets and bound them together in a book. Have you ever been somewhere beautiful without a camera or a friend and wished someone were there to share it with? That's how so many poems are born. A person catches something gorgeous and documents it, as if to say, hey, you, yes, you, look at all that gold. Sometimes poets write poems as if they were letters to friends they don't yet have. Science suggests that loneliness resonates in the same part of the brain as physical pain. Feeling lonely, more so than being alone, has been medically linked to poor health and heart disease. Actual broken hearts. If poetry makes us feel less lonely, then it also reduces our pain and increases our happiness. Poetry is deeply discounted therapy, a natural antidepressant, and it could maybe even add years to your life. Poetry as world travel. Not everyone has the privilege to travel the world or even visit the next state or country, or county rather, but poetry by people from different backgrounds can turn you into a globetrotter without the burden of being frisked by the TSA. If you read about the motherland of a poet from another country, you may feel as if you have traveled there yourself. You might read a poem about a wild party in Tel Aviv and find yourself dancing down a street you have never seen, or kissing whomever the poet kissed and decided to write about. You might grieve the loss of a person you have never met, or catch a snowflake on your tongue for the first time, even though you've never left the simmering south. Do you know dogs will get depressed if they play in only one yard, even if that yard is huge? Pups need new smells and sights and sounds to truly feel alive. Though zoos are not anything to advocate for, oftentimes zookeepers will implant unique scents throughout a lion's vast but caged terrain to mimic what a lion might experience in the jungle, because otherwise the lion will grow listless, empty, sad. Poetry is an endless sensual landscape an exploration of unaccountable worlds. It is the sound of the sea crashing against the coast in line at the DMV, waiting at a frigid bus stop. George R.R. R. Martin wrote that a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Each poem is its own journey. The incredible paradox is this. The further we go, the closer we get to ourselves. The more terrains we traipse, the more we understand our own complex topography. The more we travel, the more we come home. Poetry is your passport.
all aboard. Wait, a sad poem can make me happy? I want to throw a party for the heartbreak that turned you into a poet. Mindy Netafi. After our formative poetic years of imbibing Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein, many poems we encounter are not necessarily happy. Life happens, and art becomes a tool for many artists to process that life. Poems can lure an ocean out of our eyeballs, as much as Leonardo DiCaprio did when he told Rose that she would die an old lady in her bed, then sank gorgeously to the bottom of the ocean. Poems can uncover our own dusty griefs. They can enrage us into action or encourage us to shout our aching into megaphones at protests and rallies. But that doesn't mean the same poems can't also make you happy. Wait, what? What if sad poems are actually the happiest poems because of the catharsis they provide? What if sad poems grant the reader full permission to feel their loss? What if their pages hold a safe space to process emotions, to feel the feelings and release them? What if poetry is a kind of bloodletting? We live in a culture that oppresses feelings, or rather depresses and buries them in work, to-do lists, social media, intoxicants of our choice, etc., which can actually lead to depression. Ayurvedic medicine suggests the root of disease is often undigested emotion. Therefore, to feel is to heal. In societies where we cannot public publicly emote, many of us weep in the darks of theaters to tragic movies and plays. Lonely and heartbroken songs can be our best companions during breakups. Art created from a place of pain often illuminates to us the breadth of the human experience, the spectrum of possibility in our unique psyches, from shame to peace, desolation to elation, despair to utter joy. This reminder of the multitudinous aspect of our lives can turn even the hardest feelings into a celebration of the human experience. Even when the truth isn't hopeful, the telling of it is. The Guest House This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Rumi Poetry is a vehicle for empathy. It's one thing to see ourselves represented in art and feel more validated because of it. It's another thing to read about lives very different from our own. Witnessing others' stories can expand our own capacity for empathy and compassion. How often have you had a hard-held belief about a thing or group of people that completely changed as you received more insider experience? 
Perhaps you envisioned all drug-addicted people in one light, casting judgments upon them until you met and connected with an addicted person yourself. What experiences have you had with people that eradicated your former ideas about them? People can provide, poetry can provide this same expanded insight by introducing you to people different from yourself in their multidimensional tenderness, grit, and spark. In the age of Bluetooth, it can be argued that we've weakened our listening muscles. But poetry asks us always to listen and listen closely. In showing up as witnesses to the lives and stories of others, we strengthen our hearts and ears. Though the process often awakes us to the fact that we have more in common than we thought, it also helps us celebrate rather than fear our differences. As Toni Morrison so beautifully stated in Song of Solomon, I wish I'd knowed more people. I would have loved them all. If I'd knowed more, I would have loved more. While it may seem counterintuitive that feeling the weight of the entire world would lead to lightness, scientific studies find that increased empathy has incredible physical and mental health benefits. Let's gush for a moment about the magic of language. One of the reasons people flock to poetry like a blush of glittering birds is because of its unique handling of language. New images and surprising wordplay can tickle the brain and awe the spirit. It's similar to the way a new cover of an old favorite song feels so good. You can settle in with the comfort of the lyrics, but delight in the freshness of voice, tempo, and sound. The words used in poetry are from the same lexicon you speak throughout your day, but in, arranged in a way that excites and intrigues. Let's dive into the magic of poetic language. The Great Paradox One of the absolute coolest rules of writing is the Great Paradox, or the fact that the more specific something is, the more universal it becomes. Say what? That's right. The more specific, the more universal. The whole idea is counterintuitive. You would think that a simple statement, such as, high school was really difficult for me, would touch everyone because of its broadness. But don't the lines below reach you more? I ate lunch every day in the nurse's office, or I faked hay fever just to miss a week of high school. Even if you never had these experiences, they evoke more emotion than the blanket statement. Here's another. I loved her so much it hurt. Seems like something everyone can relate to, so why wouldn't that be more effective than a specific story? Well, look, I loved her so much I knew the longitude and latitude of each of her freckles. I could pinpoint her beauty marks from space. Or, I loved her so much I memorized the look on her face the first time she used my toothbrush. The next day, I brushed my teeth 36 times because I didn't want to let her go. Or, when he shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars, and he will make the face of heaven so fine 
that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. Notice how the latter examples just make you feel more. One of the most poetic things a writer or anyone can do is pay attention to the miraculous details of life. That's why so many poets carry notebooks to write their noticings down. Poetry is already there in the world, and it is up to the poet to lasso their pen around it. The microscopic details are everything. When asked about must-have tools for writers, the poet Kai Coggan advocated for an open heart, a keen eye for observation that notices tiny nuances others would ignore, courage. Oftentimes a poet will solidify the theme or message of their piece by keeping their language and images in the same universe as the one the poem exists in. A poem occupies a certain landscape, and the word bank of that landscape can help accentuate the meaning. Huh? Say the poem is about a person's brother going away to war, and the sweater that the brother leaves behind. Even if that sweater felt exactly like a sheep, and a sheep was the most accurate thing to compare the sweater to, a sheep would not necessarily be the best metaphor. A sheep is not in the world of the poem. However, watch what happens to your brain and heart when you hear the following. His sweater was as soft as a silenced gun. His sweater was as soft as a single bugler playing taps. His sweater was as soft as a folded flag. Do you see how comparing the sweater to something within the poem's world is much more effective than talking about a sweater that is soft like a cloud or a sheep? Do you see how comparing the sweater to something less obviously soft is also exciting and evocative? Or how the images of the flag or the gun are not necessarily pleasant, but that ends up being a good thing for the poem because holding on to a sweater of someone who is gone is not an entirely soft feeling? On the flip side, soft as a silenced gun does not work if the poem is about the skin of a lover. In fact, that metaphor makes zero sense and would be distracting and kind of creepy in your love poem. But maybe the beloved skin is soft like an acoustic song, soft like the bedsheets we never left, as soft as a love note kept in a pocket for 30 years. The most important part of wordplay is the second syllable, play. When poets, rappers, and songwriters utilize wordplay in their works, they are literally playing, having fun with language. The focus is on wit and amusement. The effect is delight. Perhaps you are writing a poem about cell phone addiction, and you want to try some wordplay. You might say, my phone died, and now I don't know how to FaceTime. Try having fun with words yourself. Think of a common turn of phrase, for example, a short temper. Then pull one of the words out of that sentence and explore meaning, turning different definitions on their heads. For instance, you hear short and might think stilts, limbo contest, coming up short, must be this tall to ride. 
can't reach the tall shelves, etc. Then rearrange your thoughts until something titillates you. My temper is so short it wins every limbo contest. Or, I built stilts for my temper trying to be big enough for compassion. Four, repeat. Can poetry change the world? Poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Purse by Shelley. Throughout histories, poems have been throughout history, poems have been used as vehicles for social change. Did you know there are poets who write for the sole purpose of inspiring active participation in the fight for world justice? Their poems are both informative and emotional, unpacking the current political climate while shining a much-needed light on the many darknesses of the world. Topics can include LGBTQ plus rights, police brutality, sexual assault, and capitalism. You name a beast, there is likely a poet out there working to dismantle the machine that birthed it. Poetry has played a part in nearly every revolution in history. Political poems have been hollered at rallies, at protests, at pride events, in prisons, in treatment centers, in colleges, in churches, and more. You could even argue that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech was itself a poem, as he undoubtedly used poetic device to heighten the message and captivate listeners. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In the 1950s, four Jewish poets were brutally murdered in Moscow for their part in speaking out against fascism and World War II. The night of their deaths is commonly known as the night of the murdered poets. Even if a poem is not directly political, reading a poem by a poet from a different background than yours can offer a feng shui renovation of the soul, rearranging the furniture of your world so that you can exist more peacefully, more wholly, and, in the unrighteous sense of the word, more wholly. Staunchly held prejudices are the antithesis to growth and unearthing and dismantling our own biases is a revolutionary act. If we were to feel more compassion, might there be less violence, less poverty, less war? Hate thrives in the presence of ignorance, and many poems are an education. Poetry is the anti-bomb, the anti-border, and... In a world where there is so much destruction, creation itself is medicine. People's minds aren't often changed quickly or easily, but people's hearts can be changed in an instant, and therein lies the power of poetry to change the world. Poetry changes the heart, 
and in time the mind follows suit.